I want to ask you a question. What makes you feel alive? What makes you truly feel the joy of life? Maybe you've looked up at a dinner table and surrounded by family, you've seen just joy on people's faces and you, you, it's been a moment of life that you cherish. Maybe you've, something's happened to you where your, your senses were heightened really fast. My family grew up, it was a game of, of suspensefully scaring, popping out of a closet and scaring somebody and, and you feel alive in that moment. Uh, maybe you've had a near-death experience that makes you feel alive. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was living in Hendersonville, and it, it, was, it was a huge thunderstorm had come through, and Drake's Creek had risen. It was flooded. And um, me and a buddy, uh, but I'll, I'll take responsibility for my own actions, we decided we were going to go down Drake's Creek in what I will loosely call a boat. It was a fiberglass with some sense of buoyancy. Uh, we had no oar, no way of directing the boat. We were just along for the ride. So we hopped in the creek in this boat, and uh, we were bouncing off the river, off the creek banks and, and floating our way down. And we saw a bridge coming, and I thought to myself, we're going to fit under the bridge. It's fine. And uh, in the middle of the bridge was a, was a concrete pillar holding the bridge up, and I could see the water where it was hitting the pillar. It was washing up on top of the bridge, and the creek was just violently rushing. The boat... Totally would have fit under the bridge, but we managed to run into the pillar because we couldn't steer, and uh, it flipped the boat backwards on top of me. The other guy went flying, and uh, I was underneath the boat. The river continued to push us downstream. I was underneath the boat, and I would have to press it up above my head to get a breath, and then something would knock my feet out from under me, and I would, I would be back under the water. And uh, it was a terrifying moment, but once I was able to remove myself from the situation I'd put myself in, on the side of the riverbank, I realized, man, I'm really grateful to be alive right now. I'm grateful to not be the dummy on News Channel 5 that drowned himself in the creek. That's really nice. I just was grateful to be alive. That, that rush of adrenaline, I felt alive. Life in that moment was sacred. We should value life. I have two little boys. I'm sorry. Let me pause one second. I did not introduce my wife, Abby. Uh, she is a blessing to me. I only have two little boys because of her. Uh, I obviously did not make any children, uh, but she did uh, parent two beautiful little boys we have. They are uh, enjoying launch kids today, um, and I'm just very grateful for her in my life. My oldest son, Mac, he's almost four. When he was born, I was on a middle school missions trip and we were uh, coming back from New Mexico because it's a good idea to take middle schoolers 23 hours away from home. So we were on our way home from New Mexico after a 10-day missions trip. We'd spent the night in Dallas, and uh, I was laying on an air mattress in a church I had worked at in Dallas. And uh, I had 53 or so middle schoolers, 12 and 13-year-olds with me after 10 days, and I was laying there exhausted. And uh, we were going to go to the water park that day and have a fun day on our way home. And my phone rang, and it was my wife's name. It was like 6 a.m., and I knew what was on the other end of the line, but I picked up anyways. She said, my water broke. I rushed, rushed to Dallas Airport, and I was sitting in the airport, and uh, my mom would always give me Mentos on an airplane to keep my ears from popping, something to chew on. I bought like three sticks of Mentos. I stress ate them in like five minutes. I thought I was going to miss my son's birth. Uh, so finally get home, get to St. Thomas Hospital, and... Um, walk in just in time, and, and my son is born. And in that moment, when I was in Dallas, everything I was doing was to get to my child, was to be there for the birth of my son. And when he was born, when I would hold him, I wanted to give him everything. Everything I had was his. Uh, he spent the first week of his life in the NICU with a hole in his lung. He was, he was 
fighting for his life, and as a heart, my heart as a father was breaking, looking at my son struggling. And like I said, I would give him anything. I did everything I could, um, you know, as far as uh, as far as far as our human ability is. Um, and I, I gave him gave him my name. Uh, you know, he got my last name. And uh, the nurse in the NICU was named Angel, and she she very much was that to us. Um, but uh, she said, you know, when we when we lay him on his stomach, he just gets so mad. And I thought, you know what? That's my son. All right, we're gonna be okay. He's got he's he's got a little bit of me in him. He's got some fight. We're gonna be all right. We're gonna get out of here. And I remember taking my son home for the first time, and the joy and the pride that I felt as I took my son home. And I think of the gospel, that when I was in Dallas, every single thing I was doing was to get to my son, and Christ died for you. I wanted to give him everything he needed to get better. Christ died to complete you. I wanted to, I wanted to, to make sure that, that he knew that I loved him and instill what I could in him, even as an infant, that, that we're going to fight, we're going to get through this, that it's going to be okay. I gave him my name, and Christ died to name you. He, cried, he died to identify you as his. Ultimately, when I took my son home, the pride I felt as a father, the Lord feels towards us tenfold. Christ died to free you, and he, Christ lives inside of you today. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 8. As you turn there, um, I just want to really ask you to lean in. I believe that God has something special for you today. Romans, chapter 6, verse 8. says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Father, I thank you so much to be in your house today. I pray that the words in this book that you have spoken, that you breathed, would jump off of the pages and you would write them on our hearts. God, I pray today as I, as I bring this word that I feel you've given me, I pray that these people would not hear a word I say, but they would hear everything you are speaking to them. God, I hide myself behind your cross. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's four things I would like to focus on in this text today. The first one we see right there in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We cannot die in Christ and not be born again. Experiencing death to sin should lead us to inherit our life in Christ. We can't be alive in Christ unless we first die to ourselves the way that he did for us. There's no death to sin that is not purchased by the blood of Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's three ways we die to ourselves. The first, I believe, is surrender. We have to take up our cross daily. That tells me my surrender to the things of God looks like a cross. My surrender is a cross, and it expires every single day. 
I have to choose every morning to wake up and be a good husband. I have to choose every morning to wake up and be a good father. I have to choose every morning to wake up and put my plans, my wants, my desires. I have to plan to wake up every morning and choose to put myself on the cross so I can yield to whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to me that day. Surrender is a choice that we make to fully consecrate ourselves to the things of God. And we have to make that decision every morning. The second way we die to ourselves is through living righteous. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God is calling his church to a standard of holiness. He's calling us to a standard of righteousness that emulates the righteousness we have in Christ. We are being called to a higher standard. We die to ourselves through devotion, through devotion to the church and devotion to the Holy Spirit, devotion to the people of God, full consecration to the kingdom. We cannot remain dead in Christ because Christ is not currently dead. If we are truly walking with Christ, we too carry the same resurrection power within ourselves. We have to recognize as the church that the Holy Spirit that was with Jesus when he conquered death and came back to life and ultimately, like the song we sang, sealed that promise, that resurrection power is inside of us. The power to raise the dead is inside of us. Certainly then, we would have the power to live a holy life that honors God. We would have the power inside of us to fully experience life with Christ. We cannot remain dead in Christ because Christ is not currently dead. Ultimately, we are limited most in this life by our own belief. Paul told Timothy to guard your teachings and your doctrines closely. What we believe, what we, are, what we will hang our hat on at the end of the day will define our actions, it will define our relationships, it will define our future, our destiny, our dreams, our words, our thoughts. What you believe matters. Verse 8 says that we believe that we will also live with him. We have to put our faith in the fact that Christ has a life, that when we die to sin and accept life in Christ, a life that is fulfilling, a life full of hopes and dreams, a life with a future to prosper us. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing is in verse 9 through 10. It says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Christ's work on the cross was complete and it was inclusive. It was complete. Christ is forever alive. Which means we are forever alive in Christ. If we have truly died to sin, then we have life with Christ. We have eternal salvation. We have an eternity with him. Francis Chan is a, is a pastor, and he does an illustration um, talking about anxiety where he's got this long rope that, if you can imagine, it just goes off stage where it looks like it goes on forever. And he says, you know, this is eternity. And there's a little one-inch piece of red tape at the end, and, and his, his illustration is we spend 
this little piece of red tape and worry and fret and fear and anxious thoughts and depression. And there's merit to that. We shouldn't be worried about this life. This life is but a vapor. My problem is, is, is yeah, we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't be anxious. The scripture tells us that. But what we do in that little time here, what we do with our vapor matters. My eternity is founded on what I do with my time here on this earth. Did I honor God? Did I choose to follow Him? Did I yield to His Holy Spirit in my life? Did I accept life with Christ now? Christ is forever alive. Christ's resurrection is death's authority. I have no fear of earthly death because I know that my eternity is with the one who is currently alive. The scripture says that death no longer has dominion over him. So we don't have to fear our earthly or even the spiritual death that we're called to because it is literally in Christ's hands. The word dominion in the Greek, it, in, in the definition of that in English would be to pro properly to execute rights over one's own property as an owner with full sovereignty. As an owner. The things that I own, I get the vote on where they are and what they do. I decide the state they're in. My house, I decide the state my house is in. If it's, if it's clean, if it's broken, if it's valuable, whatever. That's my choice because I own it. I have dominion over it. I get to control who comes in and out of it. I get to control what happens inside of it. It, it's, it is dominion. And Christ has dominion over death. So we do not have to fear death. The word says that we don't mourn the way the world mourns when we lose somebody because we have a hope of an eternity, that the death of his saints are precious in the eyes of our God. We have a, an eternal view, not a finite view of this earth. And Christ has the authority over death. It doesn't get a vote. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Christ's death was complete. So our own life in him can be complete. The cross was for the whole world. He died for the whole world. He died for your neighbor. He died for your ex-spouse. He died for the boss you're working for that you don't like. He died for the president you didn't vote for. Christ died for the whole world. And it was a complete work on the cross. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. God is patient for all to come to Christ's finished work on the cross. The cross has already paid the price. The lost need to simply redeem that cost. I took my two toddlers to the worst place in the whole world, Chuck E. Cheese. At Chuck E. Cheese, Everything is sticky. The carpet is like the color of stain. And you spend uh, about $80 for a pizza and three tokens. So I'm out 80 bucks, and my kids are playing games and we're, whatever. We're hanging out, having fun. And we had this cup that every time they would play a game, they would put tickets in. Well, this cup had, you know, 8 million tickets, and we went to redeem it for a gum stick at the end. And we walked up to the counter to redeem the tickets. See, the cost had already been paid. We'd already played the game. We already spent the money, played the games, and won the tickets. But the reward had to be redeemed. 
The cost of salvation has been paid for. It is a matter of redemption, of can we present the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to stir hearts to choose to follow Jesus. The cost has already been paid. The cross is complete. And the only true life we will ever have is found in our surrender to an almighty God. Verse 10 says, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We only find life in Christ when we restore our relationship with our heavenly father through Christ Jesus. Life is found in our pursuit of God. What are you pursuing? What are you chasing? What are you focused on right now? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus in no way was limiting who is going to be saved in that moment. What he was saying is, I understand the sinful nature of man, and I understand the holiness of Almighty God, and the gap is too big for anything but the blood of an innocent Savior. He understood that he had to pay the cost or the cost wouldn't be paid for you and I to be in the presence of an almighty God. Resurrection through Christ is our only avenue to salvation of a deserved judgment we deserve. The only satiating fulfillment is going to be found in totally surrendering to Christ as a new creation through resurrection. Nothing else is ever going to be enough until we find our identity and being a new creation in Christ. Nothing will ever satisfy us. I don't know if you've ever purchased a new vehicle or you've built a new house where you were the first one to have it. Something is most valuable. Most things are most valuable in their newest state. As soon as you drive a car off the lot, it depreciates. It's much cheaper to buy a house that's been built and lived in than to build one today. God makes us new every morning. His mercies are new. God makes us a new creation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The third thing is in, in verse 11. I want you to place your identity in the resurrection personally. Verse 11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider in the Greek is defined, is where we get the English word logic and logical, and its definition is properly to compute, to take into account, to reckon, to come to a bottom line, reason to a logical conclusion. The bottom line is you have been buried with Christ into his death, but you have been raised with him as a new creation and are alive in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are a new creation. Being dead to sin and alive in Christ are not mutually exclusive. We cannot simply turn from our sin. We must turn to Jesus. I grew up in church, and like many good American churches, especially in the South, you know, for the past few decades, we've been really good at defining righteousness and holiness. Of Hey, here's what we don't do. 
And that you need to know that. You need to know what you don't do as a believer. I've tried to be very intentional with my sons in my house. That was probably them you heard yelling a moment ago of, hey, when they, when they talk back to their mother or when, they, when they're disrespectful or when they throw a fit and they get mad unnecessarily, I try to be really intentional and say, hey, we don't do that. Davises don't do that. Men don't do that. Try to define what we don't do. It's okay to have a definition of holiness. You should. The problem is, is that's not a complete view of repentance. Repentance is equally if not more an act of turning to something than it is avoiding something. We have to turn to Jesus. We are restored to our Heavenly Father through our consecrated devotion to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is only by the blood of Jesus that you will find true freedom from sin. We have to turn to Jesus. And the fourth thing is in verse 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Christ's dominion over death gives us authority over our sin. It says, let not sin reign. We are called to rebel against our sin. The greatest fight of any believer is going to be defending the throne of your heart from the enemy and then further surrendering the throne to God. We can't simply repent from our, we, we can't simply turn away from our sin. We have to turn to Jesus. Present yourself to God. There was a Dutch king, I want to say in the 1800s, and he was really into the craftsmanship, the, the trade of, of carpentry. And he began to uh, have the furniture that these craftsmen would build brought to him. And he would examine the, the uh, wooden stool. He would look for, you know, to, to make sure it was handmade and authentic, you know, the, 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 a crack or a distressed part. And he valued it because it was handmade. And if he approved of it, he would put his stamp of approval on it that it could go to marketplace and be sold. If he didn't approve of it, it had to be destroyed. There's a stamp of approval on our lives, and it is the blood of Jesus. We are flawed. We are handmade. We are human. We have the stamp of approval of the blood of Jesus because when we stand before Almighty God, we don't stand there with our righteousness. We stand there with the righteousness of Christ, and that is calling us to emulate that same righteousness and live holy lives. As resurrected people, your life in Christ is going to define you. It's going to shape who you are. It's going to shape where you're going, your thoughts and your actions. Reinhard Bonnke was an evangelist, and uh, he did incredible crusades in Africa. He would have millions of people come to hear him present the gospel. They would, they would do um, exercises where he would say, shout hallelujah, and it would be 30 seconds plus for the, to hear the sound from the back of the crusade to the front because there was just a sea of people. There was a story he tells where a man in Nigeria had died and, and the mother had been praying for her son and, and told them, don't, don't bury him yet. They had embalmed him. They had taken his blood out of his body and put embalming fluid in. In Nigeria, I guess they don't remove organs. Those stayed. Um, but Reinhard Bonnke went and laid hands on this man and he came, after days of being dead, he came back to life. And they had already embalmed him. What was amazing is so the story that he tells, as this man walked around for the next few weeks, that embalming fluid was seeping out of his pores, and he reeked of death. He smelled like death. 
He was alive, but he smelled like death. And there are too many believers that are walking around professing Christ, but they reek of death. God did not call you out of darkness and into light for you to walk around under the shadow of your own sins that he paid for. He called you into a life of freedom in Christ Jesus. We have to consecrate ourselves to the things of God and find life, sustenance, hope, and our future only in him. So the heart of this text. Life in Christ is holy and there is nothing like it. It is freedom through surrender. It is pure. Life in Christ is a mandated byproduct of being dead to sin. It's our original state of creation. Before the fall of man, man and woman were purposed with honoring and giving glory to God and having perfect communion with him. We belong to God. He is simply reconciling us to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus into life in Christ. There's a story in Acts chapter 20 that I love. In verse 7 it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, I've sat in some church services with some long-winded preachers, but midnight is a little much. We can get to the point a little faster. There, was, there were many lamps in the upper room where, where we were gathered. And I'm about to explain why Paul was probably a really boring preacher. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Dude is going on. My man falls asleep during church. No, no stones to throw. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. He died. Paul was such a bad preacher, he killed a guy. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms. In this culture, it wasn't okay to touch dead things. Paul took him in his arms. And when Paul had gone up and took him in his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. When Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. There's two different groups of people in this room that I want to give a chance to respond to the word today. There's those of you that you're walking around, you have professed Christ, but you reek of death. You've become loose to the things you've allowed to play on your radio in your car. You've allowed for words to come out of your mouth in the presence of others or maybe by yourself that are not becoming of a believer. You've allowed for things on your TV and in your homes that have no business being in the minds of a believer. You've allowed for relationships that you don't belong in. You have become numb to the things of the world. Your standards of holiness are loose. You're comfortable in your own faith. I'm not here to make you question your salvation, but I am calling you to a life of holiness. And this is your moment of surrender to a lifetime of life in Christ. There's a second group of the people in the room that you walked in today dead to Christ and alive in your sin. Your sin is thriving. You're buried in addiction. 
you're hurting, you're broken. Maybe you carried in guilt today. I want to tell you, this is your moment of surrender to a lifetime of life in Christ.